The Hamlet Podcast, episode 117. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet, with me your host, Connor Hamrity. This week, we come to the shortest scene of the play, and for once we'll cover an entire scene in a single episode. Act 4, scene 2, takes place even later the same evening. In it, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern find Hamlet and try to get information out of him. First, Hamlet enters, without Polonius's body. When we last saw him, he was dragging it from Gertrude's room, and now, at least, he seems to have found somewhere to put it. He confirms this with his first line, safely stowed. Presumably he's managed to put it somewhere. If he has got anything else he wants to say, he's interrupted. Various cries come from offstage as Rosencrantz and Guildenstern approach. They're shouting for Hamlet, Lord Hamlet, and, and so on. He himself hears the shouts and he asks, What noise? Who calls on Hamlet? Oh, here they come. I don't know if Hamlet is in any way bothered by these guys anymore. He's already run rings around them, so there's hardly much more fun for him to have at their expense. His here they come is a fun opportunity perhaps for the actor to show us just how he's feeling about the pair. Claudius has perhaps lost some faith in them too, since, as you'll remember from the previous scene, he instructed them to get other people to help them as they go and look for Hamlet. Depending on who's available for a given production, they could enter now with a few other people. However many are with them, it's Rosencrantz who gets to speak this time. He asks, What have you done, my lord, with the dead body? This is a straightforward enough question, but bear in mind that Hamlet has seemingly hidden the body of the senior statesman that he murdered, albeit accidentally, just a few minutes ago. Hamlet's response is that he has, he says, compounded it with dust whereto tis kin. He's left it in the dust somewhere. Hamlet makes a little joke here about the standard phrase that you are dust and unto dust you shall return. Since Polonius came from dust, Hamlet has returned him to his family, which is, of course, a rather pregnant thing to say, and there's many other things to do with Polonius's family coming up. It's a pretty grim joke, but of course, he's still pretending to be mad, particularly for these two former friends. Rosencrantz makes no attempt to indulge him or anything like it. He's all business now, and so he replies, Tell us where it is, that we may take it thence and bear it to the chapel. Nothing but the direct request here. Tell us where we can find him so that we can get him from there to the chapel. Hamlet decides to destabilise Rosencrantz now, perhaps relishing the fact that he can do it in front of an audience. In something of a non-sequitur, he says, Do not believe it. Of course, this is just inviting Rosencrantz to ask for clarification. And, of course, he walks right into it. He asks, Believe what? And Hamlet is off. That I can keep your counsel and not mine own. Besides, to be demanded of a sponge. What replication should be made by the son of a king? Hamlet's logic here can appear a little confusing, but the gist of it is that he's defying them. Don't believe for a second that I can keep your secret but not my own. He hasn't let on, after all, that he knows they're working for Claudius. That is the secret or the counsel that he's keeping. And so now his point is that they shouldn't believe for a moment that he can keep their secrets, but then all of a sudden spill his own to them. Besides, he takes offence at being questioned by a sponge. 
he is the son of a king, and how should the son of a king be expected to answer or make replication to a sponge? No more than the whales and the camels and the various other images that we've heard earlier in the show, here now Hamlet is likening Rosencrantz to a sponge. And just as we ourselves might question what on earth this might mean, he likewise asks Hamlet, Take you me for a sponge, my lord? In other words, what do you mean calling me a sponge? Of course, Rosencrantz and anyone else in the world of this play should know better by now than to set him up by asking so neatly for an explanation. But anyway, Hamlet has a full response for him. A sponge? And he says, I, sir, that soaks up the king's countenance, his rewards, his authorities. But such officers do the king best service in the end. He keeps them like an ape in the corner of his jaw, first mouthed to be last swallowed. When he needs what you have gleaned, it is but squeezing you and sponge you shall be dry again. It's actually quite a brilliant description. Rosencrantz is like a sponge in that he soaks up everything that Claudius has to offer. His rewards, his authorities, his countenance, his favour, basically. Officers like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are useful to the king only to a point. Like an ape, he'll keep them in the corner of his jaw, first mouthed to be last swallowed. In other words, he'll keep them on hand only as long as they're useful. The image of an ape holding a kernel of food in the corner of his mouth has occasionally been written instead as apple instead of ape. So they become a piece of apple in the corner of his mouth, not quite as impressive an image. Or indeed, there was one edition that went so far as to try both and wrote, he keeps them like an ape an apple, which is certainly going too far. The point of it is that Claudius will keep these officers close by, in the corner of his mouth, only as long as he has any need of them. When he needs what you have gleaned, it is but squeezing you and sponge you shall be dry again. As soon as Claudius needs whatever it is that he's given to them, he will squeeze these sponges, or indeed spongers, and take everything back. At that point, these sponges will have nothing left and will be dry again. It's a pretty devastating read, but somehow it is lost on Rosencrantz. Perhaps he is himself being strategic, but I rather prefer the idea that he just doesn't get it. And he says, I understand you not, my lord. And of course, Hamlet has a comeback for this too. I'm glad of it. A knavish speech sleeps in a foolish ear. He's relieved that Rosencrantz doesn't understand. A cheeky comment does no harm when it's heard by a fool. A knavish speech sleeps in a foolish ear. Rosencrantz is undeterred and gets right back to business again, and he asks, My lord, you must tell us where the body is and go with us to the king. You can almost see him stamping his foot with his frustration at this. Hamlet is surely a most exasperating charge, and he isn't nearly finished yet. He's confusing him further when he replies, The body is with the king, but the king is not with the body. This is a deliberate riddle. It could mean that since the king is synonymous with his castle, the body is with the king, because it is still in the castle. But the king himself is not personally with the body. This twirling wordplay between what is meant by the word king and perhaps even what is meant by body, the body of the people, the body politic, the body of the dead statesman, blurs the lines between madness and acumen once again, 
and Hamlet destabilizes his would-be minders and perhaps makes a comment on Polonius's legitimacy. Is it complicated? Is it just very simple indeed? Hamlet continues that the king is a thing, rather shockingly reducing the king to an object. Reducing the king to a thing is enough to get Guildenstern to interject, and he questions the idea. A thing, my lord? Hamlet has another biblical echo here, as he answers, of nothing. We might save the particularly nihilist and existential thoughts until Act 5, since Hamlet doesn't really continue with the idea here. Instead, he surprises the men again, capitulating and allowing them to do what they came to do. He ends the scene with a simple, bring me to him. He's ready to talk to Claudius. In the folio text, Hamlet ends the scene with a further comment. He says, hide fox and all after. This is a phrase from a children's hide-and-seek game. Essentially, he's saying, ready or not, here I come, which both continues the performance of madness or distractedness that he's been maintaining and is something of a threat to Claudius. We obviously don't know how the encounter between the king and the prince will go, but we'll find out all about it in the next episode. For now, thanks as always for tuning in. Be sure to check out the website, thehamletpodcast.com, for all our previous episodes and for the text covered every week. There are notes and extra information to accompany each instalment and a variety of extra bits and pieces you can explore as well. I'm hoping that it'll have an upgrade in the coming weeks, so do be sure to check it out. I'll let you know when it's completed. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or indeed on Instagram, and I'll speak to you next time.